Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. Hey, if you got your Bibles with you, let's turn to Mark 16 and verse 15. And we're going to continue our series on change your world. Change your world. So we started this a few weeks ago and Brother Sean preached last week. And uh, we're going to continue this series about changing your world. So Mark 16 and verse 15, this is a familiar passage for us. This is one of the last things Jesus said before he went to heaven. He told his disciples, he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Notice that, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, today, if you're taking notes, the title of my message is The Gospel in Action. The Gospel in Action. Now, a few weeks ago, I just want to recap a few things. We talked about change your world. Now, the reason we call it change your world is because God wants to use you to change your world. You say, well, God's doing it. Yes, but he's using us to do it. That's the way God works. Because he's the head, we're the body. Body can't do anything without the head. Head can't do anything without the body. God is using us to change our world. And so we need to be very intentional about that, realizing that we have a part to play in what God is doing. We are not on the sidelines looking at other people do it. God wants to use all of us to change the world. And God is using us, his church, to change the world. It's interesting in the early church by Acts You can write this passage down. By Acts 17, verse 6, it says these early disciples have turned the world upside down. So already, just 10, 20, 30 years into this of the early church, we see that these early disciples were already changing their world and affecting Rome, which Rome was the the, uh, country that was really ruling the entire world, known world, and, and these early Christians and early believers were already changing their world and affecting Rome and the emperor and everybody because there were so many Christians multiplying, 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 multiplying that this group of believers were changing the known world already by Acts 17 verse 6. It said they turned the world upside down. Now, they were saying in a negative sense because they didn't want their world to change. The Romans didn't. The secular people didn't. But God was changing the world through his church. It's the same thing with us today. God wants to use us to change our world. And we see that early church grew from 120 in an upper room to 3,000 on the day of Pentecost to 5,000 to 10,000 to 100,000 to 500,000 to millions of believers. And now today, 2.2 2 billion some Christians on the planet and the gospel spread from this place in Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria it spread into Africa and then through Asia and then through Europe and then through North America and then through South America and it's reached the world but it started just with a few people deciding that God wanted to use them to change their world but I titled it change your world, not change the world. Because if we look at it that way, we will be so intimidated and and so overwhelmed that we won't do anything. How many know if you watch the news, the problems seem a little bit bigger than you? Because they are. But they're not bigger than all of us put together. And one person cannot change the world unless your name is Jesus Christ. But you have been given the assignment to change your world. Your world is this. What is your world? It's your job. It's your school. It's your neighborhood. It's your friends. It's your family. It's where you live at. It's where you you buy things at. It's where you eat at. It's where you do life, which would be this region of the country. This is where your world is. And God wants us to change our world. And if you change your world, and I change my world, 
And people in Indianapolis changed their world. And people in New York changed their world. And people in London changed their world. And people in Russia changed their world. And people in Africa changed their world. Guess what? The world will be changed. And that's the goal. That there's believers throughout every country and every tribe and every tongue. And there is all throughout the entire world. And if they change their region and their world and their community and their circle and their sphere of influence and their world, guess what? The world will be changed. And that's the plan. So it's not overwhelming when you try to think about it because God's only expecting you to change your world. Not the world. Hey, there's a couple other billion believers that they got to change their world. They got that part. You just do your part. But we all have a part. And some of you in here will meet people I never meet. You will talk to people I never talk to. You will preach to people that I will never see. You will have a relationship with people that I will never know. And you are responsible for those people. Not me. You are. Because that's your world. And there's people that I know that you will never know. There's people that I will preach to that you will never preach to. There's people that I will be responsible for that you're not responsible for because that is my world. But God's plan is we would change our world. But how do we change the world? Real change happens when the gospel is preached. Now, we talked about that a few weeks ago, and we're going to recap it really quick. But real change happens when the gospel... Or the good news, that's what gospel means, is preached about Jesus. We see that even the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, biographies written about Jesus are called gospels. The gospels, the good news about Jesus. And in all of those gospels, there's an account of some of the last things that Jesus said before he ascended to heaven. They're all similar they got a little bit different wording. How many know if there's four of us hearing the same message, we'd all say it a little bit differently, but the same thought would come through, right? I preached messages before, and I've heard somebody tell me back what I said in my message. I'm like, I don't know who you were listening to that morning. You must have been podcasting somebody else in your ear. But they heard something differently than what I said, and this person heard something differently. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was all saying it a different way to different people. But they all have the same emphasis. When Jesus left, he told his disciples, this is the plan. You're going to carry on the mission that I started. Not by yourself, though. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to help you do it. The Spirit of God's going to come live in through the church, breathe through the church, minister through the church, and he is God. He is the Spirit of God coming into a person to empower them and give them the desire and ability to do my perfect will and the mission of God. So you're not by yourself, but when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to have you go into all the world and preach the gospel. Some of the gospels say go into all the nations, same thing. And make disciples, same thing. Preach the good news, same thing. Share the good news of Jesus, same thing. And that was one of the last things that Jesus said. How many know you don't say fluff before you go on? Right? If somebody's on their deathbed, which Jesus wasn't, but he was about to leave and go to heaven. He said something that was very important. The last thing he said was go into all the world and preach the gospel because that is how we change the world. Now let's look at this passage again in Mark 16 and verse 15 in the Passion. I like the way it says this. And he said to them, as you go into all the world, preach openly the wonderful news of the gospel to the entire human race. As you go into all the world, preach openly the wonderful news of the gospel to the entire human race. Now the gospel, once again, is the good news about Jesus. It's the good news about Jesus. And I'm not going to repeat everything I said. You can go listen to the podcast from a few weeks ago. Because the good news about Jesus, there's so much in it that you can share. The main thing that God wants you to share is your story of the good news about Jesus. Now, if you know a scripture or two, great. 
If you know theology, great. But if you don't, it's okay. All God wants from you is to share your story about how the gospel, the good news of Jesus has changed your life. And that's the gospel. Telling what not you have done, but what Jesus has done for you and how he has changed your life. That is the good news of the gospel. And that's what God wants us to do. But that's how we change the world is by sharing the gospel. Sometimes we, we think, well, that's not that big a deal. and that, How's that going to change somebody? It's supernatural. The message of the gospel has power in it. It is supernatural. The Bible says in Romans, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. How could a simple story change somebody's life? It does. It's supernatural. How could you sharing your faith and your story about the good news of Jesus change somebody's life? It does. It's the gospel. How can people fill arenas and tell the same story they've told time and time again about a man from Galilee, about a man named Jesus? They can, they can share the stories about Jesus. They can share the story about the cross and the crucifixion. They can share the story about the resurrection. And they could repeat that thousands and thousands of times. And people still come and receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it's a simple story, but... Because it's supernatural and it's divine, there's power in it. And when it's shared under the anointing of God, people come and are drawn to Jesus. Not just publicly, but even privately when you share the good news. There's something on it because it's the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. It's simple, but it's supernatural. But I want to share something with you today about the gospel in action. The gospel in action. And we talked about a little bit about how the good news of Jesus must be shared. But there's kind of two sides to preaching the gospel. And yes, the gospel must be preached in words. We talked about that the other week. But the gospel must be preached in the life of a believer through their works. The gospel is preached through our speaking, yes, believer, but it's preached through your service. The gospel must be preached in our language, but it has to be preached through our life as well. And a lot of times there's a disconnect in the church world and people are in two separate camps. Here's the camp that says, all we need is to preach the gospel. Let's tell them the truth. Let's preach to them the truth. They need to hear the truth. And they're all about talking, 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 which needs to happen. How many know they won't know the gospel unless somebody says it? That needs to happen. But they, that's all they do. And then we have this side of the body of Christ who's all about service and works and, and doing stuff for other people, being the tangible hands and feet of Jesus, which sometimes churches like ours forget about. And that's preaching the gospel through our actions. So they emphasize, well, let's feed people. Let's clothe people. Let's be kind to people. Let's help our neighbor out. Let's, let's show the love of Jesus in practical ways. But we're never going to mention anything because we won't offend anybody. But we want to love people and show them how Jesus lived. Now, they're not wrong either. And they're not wrong either. But it's not either or. It's both and. God wants us to preach the gospel in our words but he wants us to preach it in our works. He wants us to preach it in our speaking, but he wants us to preach it in our service. He wants us to use language to preach the gospel, but he wants us to preach it with our life and our love towards others. And that's what a true follower of Jesus looks like because that looks like Jesus. Shocker. <laughs> he wasn't either or, he was both and. And we can't, Get in one camp or the other, because usually they kind of attack each other. This one says, well, you're not really preaching the gospel, and this one says, you're not really preaching the gospel. Actually, they're both preaching the gospel, but they just need to bring it all together. But I want to share today about the gospel in action, because we talked about preaching the gospel with our words, but 
let's talk about preaching the gospel with our actions. Your life speaks the gospel. And we can preach the gospel, yes, through words, but we need to preach it through our actions. And this is what Jesus modeled for us. But before we start there with actions, I want to give you two attitudes of your heart towards lost people. And then I want to give you two actions to take so you can really preach the gospel with your actions. But let's start with your attitude. How about that? Because we all got one. (laughs) Whether it's good or bad, we all got an attitude, don't we? And so I want to talk to us about our attitude towards people who are outside of church, outside of God, outside of the things of God. Because how many of you can't preach the gospel to people you don't like? Can't preach the gospel to people you're irritated at. Can't preach the gospel to people you are mad at. Which that's kind of sounds the tone of most Christians today. As they're ticked off at everybody and everything. That's not Jesus. At all. And that's the worst evangelism tool I've ever seen in my life. We hate your guts, but we'd like you to get saved. We're furious at you, but would you like to come to church? But a lot of Christians are displaying that on social media and in their workplaces and everywhere else. That's not Jesus and it's not the gospel you're preaching. But I want to refer us to a passage that I read last week. And I'm trying to take it slow. You know why? I'm still being tender with my voice here. But I also want to say a lot of things today, and I don't want to miss anything. We read a passage a few weeks ago, and we talked about that Jesus said the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Now, he's talking not about corn or soybeans. He was talking about humans. He was saying that there is a harvest of people that need to know me And they don't know me. And it's not a lack of people. It's a lack of workers that would go out into the field and preach the gospel and reach other people. And he said, pray that that I would send workers into the field. Now he's talking about people. He's talking about sharing the gospel. He's talking about sharing the good news. But I didn't read that passage in the full context last week. And that was for time's sake. But... We need to attach the first part of that with the last part of that. And and I'll show you what I mean here. Now, we're we're talking about two attitudes of your heart you need towards people that are far from God. Matthew 9 and verse 35, notice what Jesus says. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages in that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing, notice the good news, it's the gospel, about the kingdom. And notice he healed every kind of disease and illness. But notice what he says. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were confused and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Verse 37. But notice, what does he say right after that? And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest, ask him to send more workers into his field. So the first attitude I want to talk about today when sharing the gospel in action is compassion. Notice what Jesus said. When he saw a lot of lost people, people that needed help, he gives the example, a sheep without a shepherd. You know what that equals? Dumb decisions. Usually for a sheep that means death. And the Bible uses the example of us being sheep a lot. It's it's reason. Because without him, we can do nothing. Without him, we make dumb decisions. Without him, we can easily die. Without him, we are not going the way we should go. We're not making right decisions. Our life is not going to be what it should be. And, And Jesus said when he saw a bunch of lost people who were broken, who were hurting, his reaction was not irritation, frustration being ticked off. They should know better. 
And his attitude was he had compassion on them because he said that they're like a sheep with no shepherd. But then he goes on and says, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray that I would send laborers into the harvest. Now, I love this about compassion. Compassion is a little bit different than just love. Compassion is love in action. So compassion is this. I love you enough to do something about it. Because we can say all day we love people and not do anything about it. If I said right now, do you guys love lost, hurting people? Everybody say, yes, sir. But what do you do about it? And the answer is nothing. So you don't have compassion then. Because if you love somebody, this word compassion means love in action. And our attitude towards people that don't know God or outside of church or, or maybe struggling in their faith should be compassion. And Jesus had compassion on them because he said they're like a sheep without a shepherd. They, they're just walking around. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what they're doing. The Bible uses the example of people that don't know God. They're, they're blind, they're deaf, and they're dumb spiritually. It's amazing to me because I feel like I've said this myself even over the past few years because I've gotten frustrated about myself because the world's gotten louder about their nonsense, hasn't they? I mean, they've just gotten very vocal about their nonsense. They've gotten more uh, aggressive about preaching their version of the gospel, and it can be frustrating. And I even know myself, I've had the attitude before, and I don't say nothing to nobody, but in my heart, my attitude is, what the heck is the matter with them? And I felt like I was saying, they're, they're blind to this. And God was like, yeah, they are. That's what the Bible says. They're spiritually blind. They don't see it. They're spiritually deaf and dumb. They don't hear it. They don't understand it. And you're mad at them and frustrated about what's going on, but they're blind and deaf and dumb spiritually. They don't know yet. So you can't get mad at them for not knowing when they're spiritually blind, deaf, and dumb, what's the answer? First of all, you need to pray for them that the light of God would hit them and they could see and they could hear and they could understand. But also you need to show compassion on them because compassion is what brings a light into that situation. Because they're like a sheep without a shepherd, just like the way you used to be. <laughs> and God says, I want to send workers out into this field. Why? Because compassion is love and action. Jesus loves people enough to put us into action to do something. Jesus loves us enough not to just say, I love you, but to go into our lives and to send us as his followers into other people's lives and say, I love you. And I want to show you compassion because that is the heart of God. It's easy to get frustrated and irritated at people who don't know. But the Bible says they're just like a sheep without a shepherd. They're scattered. They're confused. They're blind. They're deaf. They're dumb spiritually. They don't get it. But our response should be compassion. Compassion, once again, is love in action. Not just I love you, but I love you enough to do something about it. That's where the church world misses it a lot of times. In church, we say, yeah, I love lost people. Do you? Because what do you do about it? Do you love broken people? I'm not saying you don't love them at all, but maybe you just don't have compassion. You're not willing to put action to that love. But Jesus is. And if we follow Jesus, we should do what he does, and our attitude should be compassion. Because they're a sheep without a shepherd. The next thing I want to share is our attitude towards people that are outside of church or outside of relationship with God should be humility. I realize it's hard to breathe in here because humility and compassion is the opposite of the American church right now. <laughs> I've never seen so many arrogant, prideful, angry Christians in my life. On both sides. 
if you're like that, you're not serving Jesus. I don't know who you're serving. And if you say you're having a quiet time with the Lord and Savior, I don't know who the Lord and Savior is. The devil? (laughs) Because if you're with Jesus, you're going to love what he loves. Come on now, somebody. If you're with Jesus, you're going to care about what he cares about. If you're with Jesus, you're going to walk in the fruit of the Spirit because you're with the one who gives you the ability to walk in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I don't know who you're hanging out with in your devotional life because if you're with Jesus, there's going to be some love and some compassion towards other people. So the number one attitude we need to have towards people is compassion, but the number two thing we need to have is humility. Jesus modeled this himself in the gospel. He said, I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's humility. But it's sad because a lot of the church world is prideful and arrogant. Now understand me clearly here. You can know what you believe and be strong in your beliefs and still walk in humility towards other people. I know some of you don't think that's possible, but it is. And that's what the world needs. Not somebody who's saying all things go, all roads lead to God, y'all. I'm walking in compassion and humility. I don't want to offend anybody. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying you can still know the truth and be settled in the truth of God's word. And you know right from wrong. And you know the absolutes of scripture and you know the spirit of God but you can also still walk in compassion and humility towards people that are outside of church and outside of a relationship with God the Bible says that Jesus was grace and truth not just grace not just truth grace and truth the Bible in the New Testament says the believer should speak the truth in love They love the truth part. The in love part never really gets communicated well. So God wants you to know what you believe and why you believe it and to be strong about the word of God. And I am. But talking to people that are outside of God and outside the church, we can still speak the truth in love and look into their life and show some empathy, some compassion, some humility towards that other person because we were in the same situation they were in not too far ago. We were like a sheep with no shepherd. We were blind, deaf, and dumb spiritually before Jesus found us. And we need to show some compassion and humility. I've never seen pride and arrogance win anyone to Jesus. Never. And you could be 100% right. But your attitude and your tone matters. You know, I said this to someone recently. And I don't know, we were talking about something, but it was a difficult question. It's like, why did something happen in their life and it wasn't good? And you know what? I didn't go giving them a million scriptures and going down trails like, well, maybe you sinned. Maybe you messed up. It's not the time for that conversation right now. Show a little humility about yourself. You know what I said? I don't know. That's humility. But notice I didn't leave them there. I said, I don't know why this happened. I don't know in this situation when you felt like God left you down. I don't know why that happened. That's humility to say that. But then I followed it up with this. But I'll tell you what I do know. I'll tell you what I do know. I know that God is good all the time, no matter what. I know God has never left us and never forsaken us. Even in the darkest times of your life, God is still there no matter what. I know that. I don't know why this happened, but I do know that. And I know one other thing. There is an enemy, 
And his name is the devil, and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And if something happened in your life, it's not from God. It's from the enemy. Don't blame God for this. God is good, and God loves you, and God is for you. I don't have the answer to what happened. Sometimes I do, but a lot of times I don't. Sometimes it's none of my business. Now, what was that answer? Humility? I don't know. But I'll tell you what I do know. Instead of acting like, well, I know exactly why. <laughs> You're not helping nobody, especially when they're hurting acting like that. Show some humility. Now, now here's, here's a good scripture to quote when you're, when you're thinking about, well, why should I be humble? Look at my life now. First of all, you didn't do any of it. Let's start there. Let's just start right there. You didn't heal yourself. You did not deliver yourself. You did not prosper yourself. Well, I worked for it. You would not have a brain that would function enough to go to your job unless God lets you function that brain. You would not have oxygen in your lungs. You would not have two legs or two arms or eyeballs or the ability to even speak unless God Almighty gave you that ability. Can I get amen in the house of the Lord? So before we go down that trail like I did everything myself, you didn't do jack squat then be born in this planet and it wasn't even you it was your mom for goodness sakes and every good thing you've ever received in your life is not because you are awesome and you are great and you are wonderful it's because God is good and God loves you and he's been gracious and merciful to you for whatever reason now I'm not telling you to put yourself down and I'm a worm, I'm a nobody, because the Bible does not say that either, but it does say walk in humility. Know where you were before God found you. Now, here's a good verse for that. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. Now, I love this because the Corinthian church was starting to get all high and mighty, get arrogant about, oh, we got spiritual gifts, and we pray in tongues, and we do all this, and the Apostle Paul had to break it down on him. Break it down, Apostle Paul. Now, this is about being humble. He says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? And don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheap people. And of course, Corinthian church was like, you better believe that. Ain't nobody inheriting the kingdom of God like that. And sometimes we act like that too, church. But notice, let, let Paul finish his statement. And some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed, and you were made holy, and you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Notice that it says, and some of you were once like that. How can I be humble when dealing with other people? Some of you were just like that. All of us in here. All of us in here were in this category or other categories that Paul could use. Some of you were just like that. But God cleansed you. God saved you. God healed you. God made you holy. God made you right. And so if we have a reality of where God has brought us from, that will give us humility with other people that aren't like us. Now, my sin might be different than your sin, but it's still sin. I still got issues. It might just not be your issue. But what has God done in my life? He can do it in your life too. Come on, anybody believe that today? 
Some of you were just like that. All of us are in that category. So when we're talking and preaching the gospel to people outside the church, we need to have compassion and we need to walk in humility. Those are the attitudes of our heart. But let me talk to you about two actions to take because we're talking about the gospel in action. But before we share that, I want to talk to you a second about different types of evangelism. We, we mentioned this the other week, and the word gospel in Greek is evangelion, where we get the word evangelist, evangelical, evangelism. Evangelism pretty much means you sharing the good news about Jesus to other people. But we need to talk about this because a lot of you in here have a very negative view of evangelism. Or you have a very dated view of evangelism. Like this worked in the 50s, but it doesn't work in 2021. Or maybe you just have a bad attitude about it because you tried some of the things people told you to try and it didn't work. Well, let me say this, and I'm going to get to what I feel like is the best form of evangelism in the way that Jesus lived, the way the early church lived. A lot of us grew up with, let's call it uh, cold call evangelism. <laughs> Expecting that will work. Like, like, let's look through the phone book. You guys know what those are? Anybody know? <laughs> let's look through the phone book and Holy Ghost, let's call them and let's ask them if they want to know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you know, back in the day, people were more open to taking calls from random people. They'd be like, huh? Yeah, I would like to know the Lord and Jesus, Savior and Christ. Can you tell me more about them? Today, you're not going to even get the phone answered. Or they're going to hang up on you. How many things have you ever bought from a, someone who called you trying to sell you something? If you did, you're super gullible. <laughs> Back in the day, door-to-door -door salesmen would come to your door, and people actually answered the door. They would buy a new vacuum. That was the thing. Today, you're not getting even the door answered. You're getting the cops called on you. But in the church world, we're still living off stuff that evangelism was in the 50s and 60s and didn't even work that good then, which was go knock on doors and see if anybody wants to know Jesus. And then one out of a thousand people might have said, yeah, just to get you to shut up. Or we would call random people or we'd pass out tracks. And a lot of times those tracks would end up in the trash can. And if that's what you think about evangelism, we're not on the same page here. First of all, that doesn't work. And you don't want to do that anyways. I don't. Because God has not called our evangelism to look like cold calls and used car salesmen. That, that's not what he's, he's into here. We're, we're not trying to wheel and deal somebody just to get them saved and then forget about them. Uh, we're not cold calling people. We're not a telemarketer. We're not just handing them a track that looks like a $100 bill, but when they open it up, it's a... If you really want to evangelize them, get, a, get them a real $100 bill and tell them about Jesus. Y'all know about the tracks that were like $100? You opened it up. It was like, gotcha. Do you love Jesus? Are you going to hell? You know, back in the day, too, you know, randomly, you could go up to somebody on like a shoe car and be like, do you know if you're going to heaven or hell? And they'd be like, I don't know. Pray with me right now. That's rare that that ever happens. Now, I want to say that for a reason. Once, because, or for one thing, because it doesn't work, but also because you don't want to do that, and I don't want to do that, and that's what God is expecting out of us. He doesn't want us to cold call people or just walk the streets and be a street preacher. 
unless he tells you to do that, then there will be fruit. But that's rare. He, he's not, for most of you, he's not asking you to get behind the pulpit and preach. He's not asking you to stand up on your desk at work and say, I need to preach the gospel. Everyone be quiet. Off your computers. Look at me. You're going to get fired and you're going to get arrested. But how did Jesus evangelize people? How did the early church evangelize people? And this is what works. It's called relational evangelism. Relational evangelism means this. You actually have to have a relationship with the person to be able to share the good news with them. It's a shocker, I know. But let's think of the root of this, and I've been thinking about this this week. Why do Christians want to do the cold calling, hand out tracts, talk to random people? It's easier than actually having a relationship with a real-life human being, knowing their fears and their failures, their life, knowing what's wrong with them, and it's messier than actually, you know, just calling somebody and hanging up when you get rejected or handing them a track and then walking the opposite way. Hopefully you read that. Are you with me so far? But why do we like to do that? We feel better about ourselves because we did it. I evangelized. Did you? You sold something because you're a sleazy used car salesman. I don't know. You didn't evangelize. It feels a little gross to me. What are you selling? It's easier. It's a little harder. It's a little more intentional. It takes more time, more effort. It's a little more messy to actually have a relationship with a lost person who's not in church, who doesn't know God, who has issues. But actually, that's the way that Jesus evangelized, and that's the way the early church evangelized, and that's what works not just now but forever. And we got a lot of Christians cold calling people out on Facebook and in person thinking that that is evangelizing, but yet it's turning more and more people off to the good news of Jesus. Well, I got them on Facebook, but what about their soul? You won the argument, but you lost the person. So what's the point? Let's start the axe throwing early, right? Men's meet and greet. Isn't that true? Did you win? No, you didn't win. If you lost the friendship and the relationship. But we need to be relational evangelists. What I've found out is a lot of Christians want to tell people the truth in love and have no relationship. So the person does not care. And actually, you offend the person before their heart opens up to you that you could actually share the truth with them. So let me give you two actions. The first thing is, if we're going to preach the gospel with our life and our actions, we need to preach it through our service. Matthew 5, 16. Are you guys still here? Matthew 5, 16. Notice it says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we preach the gospel, not just with words, but with our actions, but one of the actions we do is through our service. When we show people, not just the good news out of our mouth, but our good works through our life and our actions, that preaches the gospel. And sometimes that preaches louder than the words coming out of your mouth. They should be aligned if you're living it the way you should be. So we preach the gospel in our actions through service. The Bible calls them good works. Good works are not so you earn salvation. Good works are so that other people would see the good and glorify God. We serve other people. We serve humanity, not so they will come to us and look at us. We do these good works, the Bible says, so they would see God and glorify your Father in heaven. 
The gospel and our actions in our life should come out in service. Now that could come out a lot of different ways. It could come through feeding people, clothing people. Could be for paying for a meal of a coworker. Could be for praying for someone on the spot at the gym. It could be helping a neighbor with a project. It could be visiting someone in jail or the hospital. It could be encouraging someone that's outside of church with kindness and love. It could be giving a big tip to your waiter after church on Sunday. You won't preach? Go ahead and preach. All of those things, you say, well, those are just natural things, Pastor. No, they're not. If they're done in the name of Jesus into other people, they're supernatural. And the more you do that, people are looking at your life, and when they see your good works, the Bible says, they will want to know your God and glorify your God. The sad thing is Christians just want to talk and don't want to serve nobody. But your life, the gospel is preached in your life and your actions through service. And it's different for everybody in here. I know not everybody in here is going to feed people and clothe people and do that. But you got to do something. And you should do something. If you have no conviction and motivation to do anything for anybody else, I don't think you're saved. I don't. I love you. Just even an ounce of wanting to serve somebody and do something kind or loving for someone else. Because the gospel is preached in our life and our actions through service, through good works. And when they see your good works, they will glorify your God in heaven. It doesn't have to be big. It could be small. It could be a conversation at the gym that you just encourage somebody. Show them the love of God. Show them kindness. Majority of people that I have met and talked to, when I tell them I'm a pastor, they're like, I didn't think you are a pastor. Not because I'm cussing. <laughs> like, well, I know you're not a pastor because you don't talk like one. No, because I'm just real with them. And they've only seen religious, legalistic, uptight Christians and pastors. And they finally might meet someone who's halfway normal. That's up to debate whether I'm normal or not. But who actually shows kindness to them and love to them and can talk about sports and lifting weights or whatever we're talking about at the gym. You're like, I didn't know you were a pastor. But once that door's open, then they say, hey, could you pray with me about this? I mean, I'm not really spiritual, but, but could you pray for about it? That's how it starts. Can I talk to you about this? Yeah, sure. That's showing good works, and when you show them those good works, they will glorify your God in heaven. Just kindness. Our family has a restaurant ministry. We've been eating out every meal for 20 years, y'all. We have paid for every establishment in southern Indiana multiple times over. But you know, we have a restaurant ministry, and we're not joking by that. When we go in restaurants that we go to a lot, they all know our family. They all know that we are pastors. They all know we are believers. And waitresses and waiters come up to our family all the time and say, can you pray for me? Why? Because they see our life and service and our good works, and they want to know about our God. And you know at all those restaurants, they all fight over having the Jacob's table. Why? Because we ain't cheap. And we're going to preach the gospel with our actions, meaning open your wallet and be kind to your waitress and your waiter and show them the love of God with some tangible money. Instead of saying, I'm a Christian and giving them a penny. And stealing their pen. I got you on that one. Y'all taking the... Waiters and waitresses' pins saying you're a believer. That's not going to work. You're saying, well, that's just natural. That's not, that's not really the gospel. That's not really supernatural. Yes, it is. And you all have different situations in your own world where you can serve somebody. You can do something for somebody. And that's preaching the gospel. 
in your actions. And when it happens, what does the verse say? This is Jesus speaking. They will see your good works. They'll see what you do, not just what you say. And when they see that, they'll say, I want to know about your God. We do it through service. We can't do everything in here, but we can all do something. And I believe it's addicting in a good way. The more you do good works for other people and serve other people, you want to do more. Because that's the heart of Jesus. Am I talking a little too real on Sunday? You guys still here? Okay. So, next thing I want to share, and I'm going to close with this. How do we preach the gospel in our actions? We do it through service, and we do it through hospitality. Now, here's the real gospel. We need to... This is going to hurt a little bit. Go ahead. We need to invite people into our life before we invite them to church. We need to invite people into your life before you invite them to Jesus. People need to feel like they belong and they're welcome before they come to Jesus. Now, I know there's discernment there. Don't go run off the cliff with that idea. But I think churches like ours have ran off the cliff with discernment and isolate themselves from any person who's lost. Did I say that? I did because I'm the pastor. And for the sake of discernment and your spiritualness, you have so isolated yourself from any person who's not in church, doesn't know God, anyone who's not as spiritual as you, you live in your house, you four and no more, to the level that you couldn't witness to somebody. If you tried, you don't know a lost person. You'd have to witness to your kitty cat down the street because that's the lostest creature you know. I'm saying the truth in this house. I know I'm saying it. But we preach the gospel through service with our actions, but we preach it through hospitality. We need to invite people into our life. There's levels to this. Before we invite them to church. We need to invite people into our life before we invite them to Jesus. That's called relational evangelism. Now, everybody's not your assignment, but there is people in your life that are your assignment. That God's saying, hey, that's the person you need to reach out to. You need to invite them to a meal. You need to go have coffee with them. You need to reach out and pray for that person. And God is not going to give you the list of the life group leaders to do that with. I just feel like the only people that God's laying on my heart to hang out with is Brother Les, Miss Dawn, and Brother Sean. I mean, you could use it, but God's trying to reach actual lost people that don't know him yet. So if there's nobody on that list, I don't know who you're listening to. Yeah, you need to have good fellowship. I have over-preached that. You do. We're going to talk about it next week. But that's not at the expense of lost people. <laughs> yeah, Jesus hung with his disciples more than lost people. Correct. But he still hung out with a lot of lost people, too. He still was always eating and drinking and having a relationship with people who are far from God. It's quiet in this Methodist Assembly of God, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah, it's all right. Hospitality. Now, Jesus modeled this for us in the Gospels. The Gospel says the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Can I get amen on that? Sounds like my life. No comments. But you see in the Gospels that Jesus was a lot of times at a meal. Jesus preached the Gospel to crowds, yes, but majority time he was sharing the good news was at a dinner table. And a lot of times those dinner tables were with people who didn't know God and needed to. We see the early church lived this way. 
when the 120 believers got filled with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, they preached the gospel and 3,000 got saved. But then it says that those early believers, there was 3,120 of them, started doing life together. And they started sharing meals together. And they started reaching other people who didn't know God. And they would invite them over to their house. And they would preach the gospel, not in temples or stages, but in their house. They would share meals together. Acts 2, 46 through 47. Let's read it in the Amplified. Talking about the early church. It says, and day after day, they regularly assembled in the temple. That's like church. With united purpose and in their homes they broke bread including the lord's supper they partook of their food with gladness and simplicity and generous hearts constantly praising god and being in favor and goodwill with all the people and notice what happened because they did that and the lord kept adding to their number daily those who were being saved from spiritual death now a lot of times we don't connect hospitality and showing the kindness and love of God to make people feel like they belong and they're welcome in our personal life to growing the church. You're thinking we're going to grow the church if I invite all my lost friends to church and Pastor Jordan just lets them have it, right? So I don't have to do anything, and then they'll get saved. Notice the early church, it says they grew because these early believers, yes, they went to church, they gathered together, but it says they started eating from house to house, sharing meals together, sharing life together, and it wasn't just believers there. They would invite other people in their neighborhood to come eat with them. And at the dinner table, the gospel was preached. And at the dinner table, the gospel was shared. And at the dinner table, spiritual conversations happened. And at the dinner table and at the home, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Because people got out of being so isolated and opened up their life to other people who didn't know God. And so we got to invite people into our life before we invite them to church. Now, trust me, if they're in your life, church will come up. <laughs> that will come up. Jesus will come up. Your spiritual life will come up. But you got to invite people into your life first. Or you get something today. I'm about to close. I wrote this down earlier this week. Could a meal at your home with a person who doesn't know God, add to this church. That's what the early church did. But it's my house. Is it? Is it your house? Who, who gave you the house? God gave you the house? Actually, it's his house, and you're just getting to live in it. And if it's his house, then he can use it any way he wants to. Miss Marion is the only person that agrees with me, and I appreciate it. Because you live this, Miss Marion, and I appreciate that. Now, let's think about this word hospitality. Because I know hospitality, you're thinking Martha Stewart. I mean, you're thinking, and she's not here today, I don't see her, but you're thinking, Lois Daly, Mary Flock. Well, if I'm not them then I can't do it. That, that's not true. This hospitality in the Bible does not mean you have to be the best cook. And it does not mean you have to have the nicest house and the cleanest house. It's not a, just a gift. I know some people are given to it. But the Bible says that all of us should walk in hospitality towards other people. And it's an attitude and it's a heart and it's an action we take. You realize that hospitality in the English language, words that have come from hospitality, which was started in the church, words like hospital and hotel came out of the word hospitality. You realize in the early church, in the, the days of believers 2,000 years ago, there was no such thing as hospitals and hotels. You know what there was? The church. And the church in those times was the hospital and the hotel. 
If you were sick in those days, they would bring you to the church. They literally would bring you to the church. And the, the church people not only would pray for you, but they would, they would mend your wounds and try to give you some, some medicine. There was no such thing as a hospital. And when there was people traveling in the ancient world in those days, when you were going from, from city to city, there was no hotel to check into. Where was there to check into? The church. The believers. And those early believers would show hospitality and invite people to come into their house and stay when they were traveling. So we see even these words today we use like hotel and hospital came from the early church hospitality. You realize that's why most hospitals are named after Bible stories and churches and saints because secularism did not create the hospital system. The church did. J.W. Marriott and Hilton did not create hotels. The church did. Because the church showed hospitality. To the sick, to the broken, to the hurting, to the stranger, to the traveler, to the person outside of God. Now let's read a verse and we're going to close here. In Romans 12. Now these are some exhortations Paul gives to the Roman church. Notice what he says. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them and always be eager to practice hospitality. He's talking to a church, not just church leaders, a church. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Hospitality is not whether you can cook or clean. It's an attitude of you belong. And you're welcome here. Hospitality means that you're willing to invite people into your life before you invite them to church. You know, you don't even have to have a house to do this. You could take someone to get a meal or get coffee. That's hospitality. How about when you're doing your stuff during the day, you invited somebody. Hey, I'm going to the gym. You want to go with me? That's hospitality. Hey, I'm, I'm going to go to the grocery store. Would you like me to pick up something for you? That's hospitality. Even if you had no furniture but just a roof over your head, a pizza, come on now, somebody. I was in youth ministry a long time. A pizza will go a mighty long way. A pizza and a metal chair and talking about the things of God, the presence of God could be there. You don't have to have the nicest house. Or the finest china. Well, I can't do it like their best people do it. I, you know, I don't want people in my house. You know, I can't cook like they, they can. That's not about that. A pizza you bought from Little Caesars. With a stale can of Mountain Dew. Would go a mighty long way inviting someone into your life. Showing them the love of God and making them feel welcome. That's hospitality. We overcomplicate these things like if I'm not so-and-so, I can't be hospitable. You guys still here? I'm closing. I know I went an hour. It's the best hour of your life, right? I know it was Warriors, right? Because we weren't in church last week. We backslid for one week. So we need, the, we need this whole hour. I want to give you an example of that before we close. Now, we talked about preaching the gospel and our actions through our service and through our hospitality. All these things I'm saying were a super big deal in your Bible and the early church and never talked about in the modern church. Never talked about. But they lived this way, and that's what the Bible said, the Lord added to the church daily, those who are being saved. Because they opened up their life, they opened up their homes, and they invited people and said, hey, you belong here before you behave. You belong here before you believe. You're welcome here. And that's what you call relational evangelism. I want to give one quick example, and we're going to close. I was thinking about this, and... 
one of the best real life examples I have in my life of this in this church is Chad and Marsha. And I was thinking years ago when I took over the Corey and was a youth pastor. And then there was a big group of our young people that went to IUS. The Corey started growing during that period of time. And the biggest part of that growth was not my preaching. The biggest part of that growth was people were doing life together outside of the Corey services. And there was a bunch of hungry college students hungry for hospitality, hungry for fellowship, hungry for somewhere to belong, hungry for somewhere to feel welcome. And Chad and Marsha opened up their house almost every night of the week for year after year after year after year. And they fed people, too many people at that. They let people stay at their house. We had worship nights at their house. We played volleyball at their house. We went fishing at their house. And we're talking, there was 40 to 50 people at their house at all times. Not just two or three. Sometimes more than that. I know of Vincent, there was like 100 people at their house. But year after year after year during those IUS college years, The Lord started adding to our church daily, and it wasn't because of my preaching alone. It was because of Chad and Marsha's gift of hospitality. And look at it today. A lot of the leaders and young leaders in our church came out of that because of Chad and Marsha. They could think it was insignificant, but it was significant. People like Anthony. People like Michael. People like Jessica and Amzi and many others got involved in our church, not just because I preached a great message, because Chad and Marcia said, you're welcome here. You belong here. You want a free meal? And Amzi said, oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> That's the only reason we got him here. I said, if I had to give you that many free meals just to be the person you are today, Amzi, it was all worth it. All those meals were worth it. But think about that. Somebody would say, well, that's not spiritual. She's about the word. That's what got him. Yeah. But the word in action is hospitality. The word in action is service. The word in action is caring about somebody's needs. The word in action is compassion. The word in action is giving somebody a meal that needs it. The word in action is giving somebody a place to stay when they have nowhere else to stay. That's the gospel in action. So come on. Thank you, Chad and Marsha. I know Marsha's not here, but you can tell her what I said. And I know many of you have done that, but that was one of the greatest examples in my life because they did that for years. I mean, 40 or 50 people at a time. That's a lot of people to have at your house all the time. And they did it with joy. And when they did that, the Lord added to our church daily. Did you guys get something today? Well, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.